0: Thank mm-hmm. you. some therapists
1: downtown uh, they're going to be able to grow mushrooms under their bed or in their backyard for free and do this for free so it's just a function of the secret getting out and no longer being secret i think
0: i think so too it's just gonna it's gonna be as normal as cracking a pbr in the backyard during football you know the edibles you know they're gonna they make mushroom edibles now Mm -hmm. um i wanted to really quickly because you talked about defunding the police. Sure. Uh, My podcast before this one today was with The Last Prisoner Project. Mm. I've been a volunteer for them writing letters to cannabis prisoners since quarantine started. Mm. I grew up five miles from Attica. I've always been an empathizer for prisoners because everybody in my town was a CO and they were just assholes. Like they were racist. They were super judgmental and everything. And I, I know everyone has a story. I just, I do not want to judge that, you know, you did, you got caught, you know? Um, But the last prisoner project is cannabis prisoners and many of them are doing life. One of the guys I write to um, is doing life on a first offense, a first offense. And he's been in prison since the early nineties. So it's, it's just another aspect of the legal system that has to change along with the restructuring of the police. I wish they had just said restructure or I don't
1: know. Yeah. Budget reallocation is probably or services reallocation would have been better. Something better, could have been better.
0: better but defunding, like when I heard that, I was like, "Whoa, what do we say in here? We're not going to have cops anymore. Yeah, um, It's bad branding.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. And and a great example of of the effect of language and how we use it is today's cannabis. You mm-hmm. know, 10 years ago, people started to use the phrase more commonly medical marijuana, which in turn helped a lot, but also revealed a backlash because there were so many people who were like, oh, you're just saying it's medical marijuana because you just want to use marijuana. That's not medicine. You just want to get high. But what they don't realize is marijuana was literally part of U.S. pharmacopoeia for 100 years until it got banned. It was always medicine. It never wasn't medicine. So, you know, the the use of language and how we uh, exchange it with one another is so critical to imbuing and imparting understanding and meaning. Um, now,
0: you said a word that brought something up for me was pharmacopia. Do you watch Hamilton's Pharmacopia?
1: I have seen several episodes and enjoy it a bunch.
0: I love it. Yeah. it. It when you were talking about cultures from around the world, that's what he does. Is he travels the world? Yeah. So for anybody watching this right now, it's on Vice. It's Hamilton's Pharmacopia. He's this chemical nerd, chemistry nerd, who travels the world and he tries every single one of the mm. local drugs. And I got some I don't even know if I'm saying it right cuz I hear it a million different ways but kratom. I have a couple of kratoms that I want to try but I'm a little afraid like cuz it's a new thing. It's a yeah. new, you know, I, I need to research it before I take a pill.
1: Hang on one second, my camera just stopped recording on my end. Oh. I just want to get it going again. And then I yes, the let's noise. let's absolutely talk about kratom cuz I have things to say on that. Okay. And we're back. Sorry, everybody. We had a technical glitch. One of the cameras stopped recording in the middle of Amy talking. So the transition, I think you had mentioned uh, curiosity about Kratom and kratom. and we were talking about psilocybin as well. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about Kratom, but then I want to double back and ask you about uh, misogyny in the industry. Oh, I knew okay. that would, I knew that would get you. Okay. So that's going to be an important topic, but let's talk Kratom first because you wanted to go there. So uh, fire away. What's, what's your, what's your Kratom comment or observation?
0: Well, before I try anything, I always want to know if it can damage the kidney. Sure, That's my first thing. Yeah. Um, I did see like nobody has died from it. It's a tree. It's leaves from a tree in Thailand, Indonesia. Um,
1: Malaysian no addiction, as well.
0: no addiction um, Chance, but is it related to opiates or is it part of the opiate family?
1: Um, okay, so here's what I know and I, and I don't profess to be an expert. So if I get this right. wrong, <laughs> um, sorry, everybody. We'll but but, it. I, but I can't. No, you don't have to Google it. I'll tell you where to go to get good information. There's a fantastic website called arrowid.org, E-R-O-W-I-D dot O-R-G, arrowid.org. Um, Arrowid is run by two. I will describe them as hippies. I'm hoping that's not an insult because they're very, very nice people. Um, but they definitely come from that sort of uh, ilk. And they've run Arrowid for decades and it is just a clearinghouse of information. They've got pages cool. on every type of uh, plant and drug and food stuff and spice and herb and behind each link are just, tons and tons of more links that'll lead you to scholarly papers, legal articles, um, trip reports, descriptions, dosing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you'll find a lot there on Arrowid. That um, was my Friday. Yeah. I, I've, I've lost hours and hours and hours just reading Arrowhead. And uh, it, you can get an app on your phone for it as well. So sorry about ruining your bed and bathroom time too. Um. <laughs> Anyway, everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. Um, Anyway, so kratom is is, mitragina speciosa, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And one of the primary drugs in it is mitragynine, and I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. So sorry about that. But it acts like uh, an opioid analog, but it is not an opioid. But it'll tickle sort of the same receptors. So it is used uh, by some people to help detox and get off from opioids. But from what I have read, it actually can create uh, both physical and mental addictions if you use enough of it or high enough doses. Um, I've seen lots of reports of people that if they just use too much, it it becomes problematic for them. Um, And it does have physical withdrawal symptoms as well. But when used responsibly at reasonable doses, it's supposed to have a wonderful body-numbing effect, uh, a lot like an opioid, but not an opioid. Um, the FDA flirted with Kratom a couple of years back. They were going to Schedule 1 it. Uh, I heard that. Somehow uh, it dodged a bullet. There is a Kratom Association that I think advocated against Schedule 1. Good. and And the truth is the science just isn't settled on it. And... Um, you know, the DEA has a lot of broad scheduling power and authority, and I know a lot of people are very anti-DEA. I actually did an interview at the beginning of the week uh, with Joe from from Psychedelics Today, and I mentioned him that I'm not actually uh, anti-DEA, which he was shocked by. (laughs) I really freaked him out when I said that. But Look, I'll divert for a moment on the DEA, then we'll come back to Kratom. But relative to the DEA, they do a lot of good consumer protection work in addition to their police work. And I'm not a throw-the-baby-out-with-the-bathwater type. Um, do I agree with all DEA policies? Of course not. Um, the, the best and easiest example I can point to that you will know about as well, and a lot of our audience may too, is what the DEA has been doing for years to Dr. Sue Sicily. Um, for those of you at home who have not heard of Dr. she she's a local Arizona fixture who happens to coincidentally be the national expert on the use of cannabis to treat PTSD. And Sue, for years, and she's you know bona fide doctor, these are real studies she does, she's tremendously respected, uh, but for years she's been trying to get the DEA to license other cannabis cultivators so that for her studies treating psychically wounded veterans, they can get cannabis in those studies, on par with what they can go get down at dispensaries. The DEA just won't cooperate. Instead, they are, no. they're requiring Sue to use this really just subpar, sub-quality cannabis derived from a single source that the DEA licensed at University of Mississippi decades ago. And no shame on University of Mississippi or their weed, but it's not on par with today's modern marijuana. And no. it, it doesn't reflect what any patient would would access or want to access. And the DEA just continues to stand in Sue's way and won't let this happen. So in that sense, yeah, of course, chide the DEA, they need to change. But the DEA does a lot of good, positive, consumer-oriented protections, like making sure when you go and reach for a bottle of ibuprofen, you're not pulling out lead chip paints instead and swallowing them. Right. So, because
0: that uh, happened in the eighties all the time. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I it was Ty the Tylenol scare. Yeah, I'm so glad somebody else besides me remembers that. So, so for the kids at home, once upon a time, medicine <laughs> bottles, the tops just fell off. <laughs> there there were no. There was no seal, no cotton ball, no no push, twist uh, during a full moon while invoking some arcane Latin <laughs> phrase to open the damn bottle. You could just. Take the bottle, open it, and eat your pill uh, until some asshole uh, put a bunch of tainted Tylenol bottles on a shelf in a pharmacy and killed a bunch of people. And yeah. and this one asshole ruined it for everybody. Uh, same reason why now when you have allergies like I do, I've got to go up to the goddamn pharmacy counter to get Sudafed because <laughs> the, the damn methamphetamine Smurfs mm-hmm. ruined it for everybody. So rant aside, back to Kratom. (laughs) So so anyway, Kratom does have some risks. Um, From what I've read, they don't appear to be significant risks if you're behaving yourself and using it responsibly. Um, I have tried Kratom a few times. Uh, It's perfectly legal for adults in most states. In Arizona, it is legal for adults. Uh, So you can go into stores and just purchase it. And as adults, you can consume it and try it and and, and not fear any sort of criminal repercussion. Uh, and I've tried it a few times. Uh, I definitely did notice that sort of body-numbing effect. Uh, it was very pleasant. If you had any sort of analgesia or body aches, it would be a highly attractive option to, say, popping an ibuprofen uh, or even reaching for a cannabis joint, which, of course, is wonderful at treating body aches. Uh, I found Kratom to be, in its own way, very different, but not dysfunctional or unpleasant. Okay. So, so if it's, if it's the right thing for you, yeah, give it a shot. Why not?
0: I'm going to, I just have four capsules from my neighbor. You said, try these.
1: Now I, and and in, and in fairness to that comment, I will say there are lots of, um, untrustworthy Kratom importers who do sell incredibly low grade, low quality, and possibly even not Kratom. (laughs) Right. So you, you do have to do some research and know who you're dealing with. And that by the way, is a good reason why we want to change these laws, so that people can, again, have the confidence of knowing what they're getting and from whom they're getting it. Prohibition With test results. Yeah, yeah. Like prohibition doesn't do anything other than force people to turn to black markets and right. and assume risks that they shouldn't have to assume.
0: You're right,
1: you're 100% right. All right, cool. So- Misogyny. Misogyny, yes, thank you for the segue back because I was about to say that word myself. Now I'll introduce the topic so that you can uh, not take blame for it. So I'll be the jerk who brought it up. So I often hear from, from my women friends in the cannabis industry that the cannabis industry is just really very women unfriendly, that there is a tremendous amount of misogyny, particularly at the higher corporate levels, And Without putting you on the spot, and if I am, you certainly don't need to answer this, but do you share those experiences? Uh, Do you see what I have described in my off base and my loopy? Have I been misinformed?
0: The misogyny comes from a lot of different aspects as well. I do work internationally in this industry, and I will say I've experienced more misogyny in the Arizona cannabis industry than I have experienced since I quit comedy. <laughs> it has, That's saying something. I, it, it is saying something because comedians are sick. Um, I, I mean, besides the blatant, hey, you know, show us your tits stuff, it's also losing business to boys. Um, men will get opportunities before women in this industry. They might be less skilled. They might not have the experience, but because they have something between their legs that I don't, Um, I have lost business to millennial nephews more than I can say, and it's nothing about my skill set or my knowledge because I'm extremely knowledgeable in what I do. And I've worked very hard for many years on it. Um, I just had a call maybe three weeks ago from one of the guys that said, how are you at least getting laid during this shutdown, which is none of his fucking business so the there's a familiarity the guys think that they can take um that you don't know me. you see me at networking events, but you don't know me. You can't talk to me like that, and I put it right out there. I am probably um I'm a tough nut I mean i I am a New Yorker, and you do not talk to me like that, and I have put many of boys in the in their places because mm. I. Feel that, um, number one, women were a huge part of this industry getting off the ground because Women Grow was a huge organization.
1: Yeah, I was hoping you were going to mention Women Grow because if you weren't, I was.
0: Yeah. um, I'm not sure how big it is anymore because I'm more with the women empowered in cannabis um, side of things now. Uh, But the women are 50% of this industry, or we should be. We aren't getting hired as much as we should. When I first got into the industry a third of the CEOs were females. Of course, CEO could be, you know, someone like me, an entrepreneur calling themselves a CEO, but there were many more than there are now right now. It's just all white guys and the money is going from white guy to white guy. And so I work with mostly women now from other States to build a great foundation and refer each other. Um, I will always, always, always hire a female before a male if they're qualified and, I'm not afraid to say that I don't feel bad saying that because it's the way the world that I've lived in for 50 years now is seeing opportunities go to guys that I should have had. So, um, and I'm not afraid to say any of that. I, I do tell people right away if they talk inappropriately with me, that they can't talk to me like that and that their mothers would probably be very embarrassed to know that that's how they're speaking to women. Um, I don't know what it is. I do know what it is. This is an inclusive industry. Anybody with a great idea can get in. If they've never owned a business before, they don't know much about business and they won't, they might not last that long. But it also brings in people who probably couldn't make it otherwise. So they had this great idea. They had friends with money. Now they get in um, and they hire all guys.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And these are observations I share as well. You know, and, and you made the comment a moment ago that it's an industry where it's, you know, white guys making money, um, which is, is a huge, huge peeve of, of the social equity movement as well, because we've got such a disproportionate number of black people who have been incarcerated and, and, and suffered all the worst brunts of force that I... our criminal justice system can bear, Um and now that cannabis is open and available, that crowd is still being excluded. And, and it's, a yep. to, it's an absolute shame and travesty. So I, I'm hoping, like with Arizona's Prop 207, we've got election here in three weeks. Um, if it passes, there is a social equity component built into that initiative. It's very loosely worded. So there's going to be a bloody, bloody fight afterwards to it's establish a concept, those programs. concept, though, too. Yeah, a- it's, absolutely. It's,
0: it's new to say social equity and cannabis. So there are going to be knots that need to be untied. And, you know, just like this prop itself is not amazing. Yeah. But I will always remain a patient. I will grow. Um, I will always keep my medical card. But it it's just. When I write to the last prisoner project prisoners, I typically write to the black men because I know that they're the ones who have been disproportionately penalized for what I'm doing right now.
1: Beyond question, beyond question.
0: Um, one of the guys I write to has life life. Yeah. Like that's pathetic. Um, it it's going to change. There are so many groups now that are getting bigger and bigger. The women in this industry are, are seriously a force to be reckoned with. Um, we work so hard and we help each other out so much and we stay so focused and we get so involved and we show up to everything and the opportunities just don't come back. So I don't show up to everything anymore. (laughs) I don't have to, but um, it's, it's really disheartening to see, but all I can do is continue to work with women, mentor women, um, women of color. I work with, half the girls I mentor are women of color um, <clears throat> because I want to create an industry as it grows and bring more women and women of color into it. Um, it, it it's just not fair. It's not fair at all.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I hope, although it remains to be seen, but I hope Arizona takes the lead on that because so many times, and you wouldn't expect this from Arizona, but so many times it has actually taken the lead in supporting women's rights. People, so few know this, but um, Arizona granted the right to vote to women before the United States did. Before before we had the constitutional amendment granting women the right to vote, Arizona granted it to women. Arizona has the first US Supreme Court justice who was female, Sandra Day O'Connor, one of our very own. Uh, and in fact, the federal courthouse here in, Ar- in Phoenix is named after her in her honor. Um, so in many ways, it's encouraging. But yeah, I, I, I do hear what you're saying about the meetings and, and the men really sort of dominating. So I hope it softens, and I think it will. And so with that, let me segue to, I guess, our final question, um, which is this. The, the hypothetical future plant medicine industry thing, whatever we want to call it. Right now, across the country, we're seeing a lot of different communities wake up to these alternative medicines. Uh, in in Oregon, they've got a psilocybin initiative that is aimed at creating an entire um, new agency inside of Oregon by which Oregonians will qualify like a cannabis patient. They'll be able to go partake in psilocybin at a psilocybin center and finally have access. And the way Oregon's initiative is drafted, there's going to be a two-year period after the initiative passes where They'll create all the rules and regulations and qualifications for who can be a patient, who can run a center, who can cultivate the mushrooms, et cetera. And that's going to be nice to see, and I'm definitely keeping an eye on it, because if it does well, I'm hoping to replicate it or something like it here in Arizona. Meanwhile, cut across the continent to D.C., they've got a decriminalization, or not, excuse me, a deprioritization initiative on, on their ballot where they're not decriminalizing plant medicines, but they're just deprioritizing law enforcement as a public policy. So there's lots of different approaches, lots of different experiments, and we'll see how it all shakes out. But what I'd like to know from you is, based on your advocacy and your getting out and talking to so many people, who do you think is going to ultimately lead the the, the psilocybin movement? And I don't mean in the pharmaceutical sense, because we know, you know companies like Compass Pathways are out there trying to get a purely Western industrial medical model going, but there's clearly desire for some alternative rather than jamming people into this singular path. So who do you see? Is it going to be led by a particular type, women, men, who?
0: Gen X women.
1: Gen X women.
0: We're already doing it. I mean, there are already edibles lines in California with psilocybin in it. Um, we're the. I think psilocybin is it's more intimate than cannabis because it's getting into the mental health issue, which has been such a stigma. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everyone smoked pot in their life. You know, it's, it's been around, it's been more mainstream for much longer than this. Um, but all of those initiatives, the people promoting it are the women because we are, it's the plant, it's mother earth, you know, that's what we're in tune with. The, everything in our bodies is in tune with nature. Um, And I don't think the big white boys with all the money, like behind the bigger corporations, I don't think that they care to get into that because it's not going to be the money. It's going to be medical. Yeah. It's not going to have, there's not going to be a cure relief, um, a billion dollar international company for mushrooms. I don't see it. I see mushrooms as being very medicinal therapeutic. Um, and the people our age are wanting to give up pills. They want an alternative. And the first people who are willing to do that, are women because they're mothers, they're wives, they're grandmothers. Yeah. They're the ones that are running the household. They need to take care of themselves, and women are doing that even more. It's September was self-care September. Where the hell did that come from? You know, mm-hmm. and that—that's it's going to be women, and um, that's why I've been really excited in reaching out to all the PR firms I work with and say, "Let me know when you get a psilocybin client, because." that's what I want to do. The medicine side, the making people feel good up here.
1: Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think that we're going to see some sort of a modern 21st century version of, of witches or Coranderas or, or shaman. Um,
0: We're already here. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Not so visible though, Uh, but, but increasingly so. And, and, and to put some context on this for people listening who may, may not know this. I do a lot of reading in my off hours to try to just learn more about this. And in my studies, I I have come across lots of accounts of what we call witchcraft. Um, But really, ultimately, it was just women principally, although men too, for sure, but women principally who were the repositories of all sorts of knowledge of plants and plant medicines You know, we're talking about a point in human civilization where people were less industrialized and thus more in tune with their natural and specifically agricultural worlds. So, you know, you take a a human from 300 years ago. They knew way more about the plants in their community than you or I know about the plants in our communities today. Hmm. But we're so unaccustomed to it. We look at it and, and think it's weird and strange, and then you you know you get the Disney effect where the witch is this you know crone with the curved beak nose More. and the pointy hat, <laughs> and you know that is just a caricature of, of an actual role that human beings once played for one another in a very positive sense. Um, and, and in point, of fact the, the psilocybin mushroom was introduced to the West by a curandera, you know Maria Sabina, a woman witch, <laughs> for lack of a better word, um, yeah. who who introduced Gordon Wasson to psilocybin. And, and the rest, as they say, is history. So uh, I I am optimistic of the opportunities in particular for women in, in plant medicines, and I, I hope they are attracted to it. It's, it's a good fit for any person who has a good sensibility about nature and empathy.
0: Empathy is the perfect word.
1: Yeah, which you're not going to find in a corporate boardroom or on a balance sheet.
0: Nope.
1: So I guess we've been going for a little while now. Um, I'm going to give you final word. What What would you like, folks, out in the great wide world, to know and care about?
0: I would say, if you're curious, um, Michael Pollan wrote a book a year or two ago called How to Change Your Mind. Mm. And if you know Michael, he wrote The Omnivorous Dilemma. I have all his food books. I've always been a fan of his. He's got great series on Netflix about the food that we eat. You can eat whatever you want as long as you make it from scratch. And that's how I eat. Uh, I make everything from scratch here. But it's a book about psilocybin from like a gen pop dude. Like he's not in the cannabis industry or any industry. He's been known as a food guy. And it's very straightforward. It's a little dry the first Maybe quarter of it is pretty dry and kind of background-y science um, But then he gets into it and he, and he goes through his trip. It's a really good book to soften the blow, you know, for that intro 101, here's a mainstream guy talking Total, about totally
1: it. Totally agree. He is very palatable and inoffensive to the average suburban housewife.
0: To any, I can't see anybody not liking him.
1: Yeah. And he's a wonderful writer. I, I, if he wrote the backs of cereal boxes, I would want to read those cereal boxes. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, I I have
0: all his books. He's just, he's just great. He's, I could smoke a bowl with him in the backyard and we'd probably be there for four hours. If you came, it would be like eight hours.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Probably, probably. Although I do want to level one gripe because I have read How to Change Your Mind and I also do very much recommend it particularly for the newcomer. It's a great soft intro to the topic that's not going to freak you out. But if I could lay one gripe, he titled the book How to Change Your Mind, and uh, cover to cover, read it, uh, he never did quite say how. (laughs) He told you about what he did to change his mind, but didn't tell you how to change your mind. So Yeah. It's my one little poke at Poland, but,
0: <laughs> but beyond
1: that, I, I love the book. And I do share the, the recommendation. So if folks wanted to get in touch with you, how could they do that?
0: As far as social media, my handle everywhere is the fabulous one. One word all spelled out. My website is gethybridsocial.com. You can find me on Twitter. Mostly. I'm not a big Zuckerberg fan because of my job. Um, I am on Twitter. Twitter is where it's at. I want everybody on Twitter. Follow me there. LinkedIn, there. LeafWire, go on LeafWire.
1: There you go. There you go. Amy Donahue, folks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Loved having you on. So anyway, uh, folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Psychedelic Alex. We hope you enjoyed today's visit. And please join us for future episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. And also the book is available on Amazon. Take care. have a question about psychedelics and the law, you're welcome to submit them. Please send your questions to admin at psychedelicelect.com. Submission of questions is not an assurance that they will be used on the show. Also, please be aware that neither the submission of a question nor a response creates an attorney-client privilege between you and the show's host, nor does an answer constitute legal advice. Information provided is for general purposes only. If you need legal counsel, you should
0: hire competent counsel in your community. Thank you.